Welcome to the Black Moose First Podcast. I'm your host, Alton Jamison. I've made the journey from having an incarcerated father to becoming an engineer to transitioning to a professional speaker and author. And now I am the founder and chief chess player of Black Moose First. Black Moose First is a company that offers chess boards and accessories, apparel and personal development products that empower people like you to change the world one move at a time. In the game of chess, white pieces always move first, which is an advantage, and the black pieces move second, which is a disadvantage. Black moves first is more than an oxymoron in chess. Instead, it calls for people to strive for success, even when the odds are against you. To strive for success, even when you may not have the advantages of others. Our motto is, changing the world one move at a time. This podcast explores the stories of how people have overcome adversity to make their own moves and change their own world, whether in the game of chess or in the game of life. Well, good afternoon, uh, everyone. Uh, This is Alton Jamison with the Black Moves First podcast. Today is episode nine. So we're so excited. Uh, We're pumped to have, I would consider a friend, her and her husband, a wonderful uh, just couple, entrepreneurs, educators, all of the above, uh, Dr. Shanae Simmons. How are you doing today, Doc? I am wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. I cannot, I know this is about what you have it about, but I'm always just tickled because of how our paths cross. And so this is an honor to me to be able to see you in your element and be a part of it in an episode. So thank you for having me. Wonderful, wonderful uh, work you've done. And I'm, I can't wait to get into the rest of the time with you today. And for those who don't know, I've uh, I met uh, Dr. Simmons. I don't know how many years ago. I, I want to say maybe ten years ago, uh, somewhere between 2010, Easy. 11. Uh, and so she was actually my supervisor or my manager, whatever title was, uh, for for organization helping youth. And even when I met her then, she has always been professional. You know, I, I would I would say a comp a compliment I don't give often, but one that I did yesterday to one of our guests is that you are one of the few people who have remained consistent in terms of your professionalism and just the way you've always tried to just step it up. You know, we did it here, let's go here. And I don't say that to everybody and to a lot of people. And I and I also wanna, you know, I know your husband's not on, but I also wanna accolade him as well is that you all, you all have always carried yourself as professionals in everything that you've done, whether it's in, you know, the mental health profession, whether it's in entrepreneurship, marriages. So I just want to give you, you know, as they say, give me my flowers while I'm alive. And I definitely, you know, I know you hear it all the time, but I definitely just want to recognize that and appreciate just that you've always been consistent. And even when I wasn't doing my best as a youth service person, you know, you set me down and say, all right, what's going on? <laughs> and even even in feedback and correction, you were professional. So I definitely want to honor and recognize you for that. 
Thank you. That is a that's a, first of all, I don't remember you not doing your best. Honestly, I don't. <laughs> I don't remember that. Um, but I that's that's a goal of mine. We work to bring God glory and we never want to bring shame to his name. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. I know you have an extensive education background, but maybe tell us from kind of your background and how in the field that you're in, how did you get on that direction or path of the field that you're in? Wow. So I'm a, I'm a licensed mental health counselor in Florida and Virginia, actually Massachusetts and New Jersey too, actually. Um, And I, I think I was um, propelled. I don't think I was propelled into that field by way of life circumstances. Um, I was raised in New York city uh, during the heart of the crack epidemic and a lot of our family members and friends succumbed to the to that uh, crisis as a young lady i needed to understand what that was about and that drew me to the field of psychology the field of psychology when you get a bachelor's in psychology you really can't do much of anything with that and so i learned later on that i had to do a little bit more and so my work evolved from trying to understand like why do people do things that are counterproductive why do um a prospering healthy responsible people change and and become unrecognizable and then that introduced me to uh the world of child protection and that system and that then i started to realize i had a voice and that my voice stood out a little bit differently than the crowd that I was in from time to time. And I needed to learn how to shape that in a way that was productive. And I did that by way of my education. So I've, I have my master's in community counseling, have my PhD in counselor education and supervision. I've been licensed for, oh goodness, seven years, maybe seven years now. Uh, And my work as a therapist and as a supervisor is the platform that I use to share my voice uh, and to shape, to shape helping professionals as they help people heal and restore communities. That's how I, that's how I got here. My own world was shaken. Wow. Now, Dr. Simmons, I know that. Can you explain a little bit about where you are now? Because I know you were practicing in Virginia and now you're in Florida. And if if I I try to keep up with you, but you have your own kind of own organization or company company now. Is that correct? Yes. So I became initially licensed in Virginia. We relocated to Florida uh, for spiritual reasons and. I determined to, I needed to get my license here as well. I'm now in private practice. I have a group practice. We currently have a team of four um, here at the agency. We provide counseling to people just like you and me, right? My goal is to get counseling into our community, that it is not for the elite. And it's not just for people who are um, high level class, socioeconomic levels, but that for the everyday person to get quality mental health services, that's why we created our agency. And so we see adults and children, individuals, couples, and families, and we deal with the issues of everyday life that many of our families used to just 
suck up because we <laughs> we don't talk about those things, right? And we what stays what happens in here stays in here. <laughs> so we are tearing down that principle in our agency. I remember uh, so a couple of things. So so in two thousand and four, my father committed suicide. Oh, I'm sorry. And. I remember I started professional speaking in 2009 and speaking about his death was just really the only way I could cope. Mm -hmm. And I remember in my speaking travels, I went to a co-occurring, co-occurring disorders conference in Yakima, Washington. Wow. And I just never, I was one of the speakers and I have no idea how I was booked for this event. Because right? <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, but it is what it is. And and I sat through a workshop and somebody talked about, and this was probably back in 2009, 2010. Uh, they talked about the rise in suicide and mental health issues. And they talked Native Americans, especially minorities, especially black males. Mm-hmm. and females. Why, in your experience and with your expertise, why is mental health issues and especially minority communities or even a black community just so rampant or so bad? Why, why do you think it's, it's like that? It's a complex issue. Um, people of color, black people, particularly at high proportions, have been subjected to hardship in extreme rates. We have had less access to resources. Um, We have been challenged and compromised systemically. And all of those things complicate someone's ability to be well. Uh, and, and, And that's a overly simplified way of saying the answer. Uh, but the right. reality is those things interplay. So we, you know, right now we're in the middle of a pandemic and we have this whole get the vaccine, don't get the vaccine. And I'm not really right. trying to go down that path. But one of the issues for people of color is the fact that we don't have tr- institutional trust. Right. And that same institutional trust that is heavily weighed for someone to determine whether or not gonna, they're going to do the vaccine or not is the same institutional trust or mistrust, if you will, that impedes one's willingness to come see a therapist, which is why having therapists of color is important. Mm-hmm. Because at least I have some idea, or I believe, I'm led to believe, that to some degree you can appreciate the plight. Mm-hmm. Not that we're a homogeneous group, because we are not. We cannot assume that we understand what someone's going through because we have the same color skin, especially in Florida, because you could be darker than me and and not (laughs) know nothing about black culture. Right. So that's a whole other ballgame. But the facts are the color of our of our skin has shown itself as a predictor, unfortunately, for disproportionate rates, not only of mental health conditions, but physical health conditions, societal issues, incarceration. I mean, I can go down the list. And there's nothing that you can experience in terms of hardship that's not going to impact your, your mental well-being. So that's that's it. It makes sense. And, you know, I have a, a you know, a mental health professional, a black male that I have used for the past 
two and a half years. Mm -hmm. And I've had other, you know, uh, mental health professionals as well that I've used of, you know, that were not black. And I say there has been a difference Mm -hmm. with uh, working with another black male. And and I noticed that in the process of me searching for one, I wanted a black, you know, if I'm a strong black male, a strong personality, I need a guy who's a stronger personality, who's in my, you know, kind of in yeah. my face. Yeah. And and what I've noticed in my journey, you know, number one, I felt like, you know, and I don't mind being transparent, you know, you know, one of the first things he said to me was, you know, you have some anxiety and stuff in your life. So the first thing I noticed was one, I felt like there was a lot of shame of just the fact of I'm going to get help. Right. You know, I'm a counselor, you know, I'm a Christian and, you know, right. and, and, and all of this stuff. And, you know, the Lord can, you know, the, you know, fear not. Right. Yes. So, and then secondly, when he said, you know, you do have some anxiety, which probably it probably took me a year to just accept that. Mm-hmm. And but what I realized was that I think the same way that science and the Bible work together, mm-hmm. it's the same way that mental health. And, you know, the Bible and your faith can work together because what he has done for me, even with the issues with my own father, is that it's just amazing about somebody who can give you a different perspective. Yeah. Right. Who's qualified to give you a different perspective and qualified to see your deficits, you know, even though you may got. You know, even though your your wife could be telling you this or your, mm-hmm. your boys or mm-hmm. your mama and all of this mm-hmm. stuff. But it's something about being in that room right, mm-hmm. with that person and being vulnerable. Uh, and why do you think, you know, as a woman of God, a woman of faith, why do you think there's so much resistance sometimes as you see Christians when it comes to mental health? That is my that's my mission. Right. So everything I said so far was kind of how I got here. Um, But the integration of faith um, and mental health is my life work. Work more more about that later. Um, I think the answer is fairly simple (laughs) um, to some degree. It's lack of information. It's it's lack of information. Uh, I was listening to a man of God. Uh, I won't put his name out there, but he was talking about, um, and again, it's COVID related. He was talking about how he and his wife kind of um, panicked when the the the, uh, the goodness the animal doctor I can't think of his name right now the vet the vet the vet the vet was recommending a chip, and he likened it to how Christians were reacting to the vaccination. And then he talked about how in the past he remembers when Christians reacted to the barcode and and all of those things being revelation and the times (laughs) related. I won't get into that. Y2K, everything. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. Right. We were all going down in 1999, 1159. Everybody was in church. Right. So it's lack of information. It's lack of information, but the Bible does tell us to study to show ourselves approved. It's not just studying the Bible, but how can you how can you interject yourself in a conversation if you don't understand it? So how can I tell you the Bible tells you you're going to be anxious because it tells you not to be anxious, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> so the 
it it's the the Bible and the and the world of mental health are not in competition. Right. The Bible gives you resource to navigate that world because we are all in a fallen state. Right. But some folks use different pieces of doctrine to support different things. And so there's this combination of lack of understanding and there's a combination of I'm uncomfortable with it. So because I'm uncomfortable with it, I'm just going to demonize it. Right. Like you stay over there. We're going to pray for you. And that's all we're gonna do, and and we have to we have to really reevaluate that. But the the heartbeat of it really is a lack of understanding. Yeah, and I see it. I mean, you see it with pastor suicides. You see it with so many so many different issues. And I realize, you know, even as an engineer, if if I can help somebody, you know, properly seal hydrofluoric acid, then why can't I trust the guy to tell me that you might be anxious in this area of your life? Right. And it's, right. I mean, it's just and for some reason, we have to make that connection. I know a doctor that doing uh, doing COVID, you know, I guess we're still doing COVID, but especially during 2020, I heard uh, like well, I've read somewhere where domestic abuse, anxiety, all of these issues skyrocketed. Um, what, what's your experience in that? Would you would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. They skyrocketed. Um, I was just sharing with someone earlier uh, before that I'm seeing our young people sicker. Uh, and I say young people, I'm talking about our young adults, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, um, sicker. Um, there has been, we've been shut down and in a state of uncertainty for almost a year and a half. It's unprecedented. It's unprecedented. And the way that most of us find comfort in our day-to-day is in the predictability of our days. Mm -hmm. You want to throw somebody for a loop, just take something out of their routine. As simple as moving the coffee machine to the other side of the kitchen. It, It just will take people and throw them. My husband and I switched sides in a closet. I'm so out of sorts. I don't know how to function. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that's what has happened. And so we are creatures of habit. We like things to be predictable. We like things to be understandable, routine, and regimented. Even those who think they're spontaneous. And so that has that's what's happened. There's so much uncertainty. And on top of the uncertainty, there's been another layer of fear. And then we can't ignore if you're a person of color, you and anybody, you cannot ignore the social political climate that we have been in. And you can't ignore the racial climate that we've been in. And so there's this trifecta of horrendous stress still today still today that is unprecedented we just you don't have any example to default to there's no protocol there's no manual and so what happens when people don't know what to do is they become overwhelmed and a lot of people resort to unhealthy coping 
And so that's where we see increased alcohol. We and when you see increased alcohol and substance use, you see increased abuse. You see, you know, so when you see violence and all of those things, so it's just unprecedented. And so you're right, it is true. Those things are skyrocketing. And relationships have been. I cannot tell you the amount of couples that came in because now you're locked in a house together <laughs> and you're forced to real like deal with are are we happy? Do we know how to talk to each other? Do we know how to co- coexist? Do we know how to collaborate? And a lot of people realize that they did not. It, it was tough. I mean, it, it you know, and again, I I would say you know, like I said, even kind of working from home myself. And then all of a sudden you go from, I mean, it literally went from March 11th. I remember that was my birthday to uh, I came back from Kentucky that day. It was my birthday. And by Friday, my two days later, my entire family was home for mm-hmm. f- for a while. Mm-hmm. And so just making that adjustment. One thing that I want to ask you about, and it's kind of a little shift I have my own theory, but I have noticed with, I have a teenage daughter and teenage nieces, but I have noticed that I've seen a lot of young girls that have developed so much stress and anxiety and lack of self-esteem because of social media. And, you know, and I've seen, and I've even heard as far, I don't know if if, uh, I saw a documentary on it and one doctor was saying that He's actually had girls who want to look like their image on Snapchat or some of these other stuff. They actually want to look like that, that image. So what are your thoughts or your background or education in terms of how is social media negatively impacting people? Yeah, that's actually a root of one of our clinical focuses right now. Uh, think about it. You're in the age you didn't have it. We didn't, we, we were, the closest thing we had to what we have today is like the Jetsons, right? We looked at the Jetsons like, oh, look at this cartoon. Um, social media immediately broadcasts whatever someone posts and it gets an immediate response, right? So we talk about behavioral, um, behavioral management one of the ways that you get people to change behavior is re- reinforcing the behavior that you want. And one of the ways that you get people to stop doing it is not reinforcing it, extinguishing it. That's old psychology, like behavior management, Pavlov's dogs, that kind of stuff. And so social media um, influence, not even influencers, designers, social media designers are using behavioral psychology to addict us to it, mm-hmm. to the degree that they even became vulnerable to the own, their own addiction. And one um, show we watched showed that the, the man said he had to write a program to unaddict himself. Wow. So, yes, you're now, comparison is assault on a person's character of any time. We're all equipped and resourced differently. I can't compare myself to you. We, we got too many, there's too many variables for that to, to even come into play. But that's what people are doing. 
And then not only are they comparing, but they're comparing themselves a lot of times to lies and manufactured experiences. And if I go into the mall, one of, we have a pretty nice um, international mall. If I go into one of these shops and pick up a purse that I maybe can't afford and take a picture, you don't know that I'm in the store. Right. I can position myself somewhere that's not looking like I'm in the store. Right. And so now if you're comparing, oh, Dr. Sinead just got a new purse or new red bottoms. You're trying to compete with something that's not even accurate. And so we've compared this and we have this FOMO, this fear of missing out. Everybody wants to be like, and it's horrendous, it's horrendous, but it is design. It is the design of the social media designers. That's their goal. And so, yes, we're seeing our young people, their self-esteem are low. They don't know how to make eye contact. Their frustration tolerance is low. Their patience is low. They have no ability for delayed gratification, Mm -hmm. problem solving. Like literally, I have encountered young people who their girlfriends and their boyfriends are online and they've never, ever had any personal contact with them and scared to have like to it to get an anxiety attack to even think that they're going to be in the same space so we've created this very artificial platform of relationship building and it's it's sad and then you've got with anything that um you have you can have an extreme on other on both sides right and so then you have the bullies that take it and they and they and and where if you talked about me years ago, okay, maybe the people who we knew together m- might have known whatever was going down. But now you put it on social media and 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 people now know that I slipped, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's just a really, it's a, I could talk about that all day. So I'm going to let you move on. Yeah. It, you know, I, I have seen, I have seen a lot. Like you said, you see a lot of people uh, who fake it. Uh, till they make it. Um, you see some parents are just as guilty yeah. as as the child, you know, because I've seen, especially because my kids play a lot of sports, mm-hmm. you know, some parents, you know, they're definitely just out to be their kid's best friend. And this is my girl. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's just a lot. A lot of things are off. You know, kids have a thousand dollar cell phone, but can't talk. Nope. And, and, that, and that's the thing that I that I'm seeing kind of in this environment that we're in. I know you and your husband deal a lot with marriages. Um, mm-hmm. Can you share some about your some of your work with marriages? Yes. Yeah, so we're passionate about that. We didn't have examples growing up. Um, again, we, our environment was what it was. And so we when we learned how to navigate and be more successful, we decided we wanted to leave the light on for other people. So one of the things that we do, we, we have game nights, um, COVID put a damper on that, but we are, um, we, we're going back to it starting next month. Um, we have a page called the Get Touch Network page, and we do interviews, and we've been interviewing mm-hmm. some dynamic uh, married couples that really share their stories. What we have found is that Uh, The world has a really ugly idea of what marriage looks like, what it should look like, whether or not it's a valid institution, whether or not it can be done successfully and with fun 
and uh, and a host of other things. And particularly, uh, again, the, the church has come under fire because we, we begin to see divorces increase in that space as well. So we are intentionally coming for that, uh, that image and tearing it down. And we pursue phenomenal couples like you and your wife <laughs> to come on and to talk about their journeys. It's not like all sunshine and roses, right? We all had some things we had to learn. We, and how do we get through that? So how do you build the endurance for it? And so we use our, our time every Tuesday to just share, like, this is how this couple did it. This is how this couple did it. And by sharing a diversity of couples, different backgrounds, different um, ages, different states, different uh, industries, by sharing that, we believe that others will become inspired and recognize like, oh, wait a minute, we want to be like the Jameses. Oh, we want to be like the Sharks. Oh, we want to be like the Simmonses. We want to learn from them. Like, we can do this. We don't have to throw in the towel because we personally believe that marriage is a covenant and we don't approach it as a contract where, you know, people, a lot of people are approaching mm -hmm. it that way. And so because we approach it as covenant, we give people tools to stay in there, right? We get people tools to stay in there. And so that's what Talk Tuesdays is about. And um, that's just one of the things that we do. We got a, a few other things coming and we'll we'll definitely be sharing those down the road. We're excited. We're taking a retreat this weekend to oh, prepare nice. for its launch. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, my my wife and I, like you said, we're we're sneaking up on 18 years and we've been together for, if I do my math right, about 24, yeah. <laughs> 24 years. We've been together, you know, for a while. And, and one thing that I have, have learned is that you have to continue to, the better that I become individually, the better that I can become as, you know, a husband. You know, we work with a local marriage counselor not because our marriage is on the rocks, but you need tune-ups, right? That's right. So you you, you need tune-ups. And that's the thing. I think there's the intersection of mental health and, and marriage as well. You know, marriage is an investment. Yes. And, and that's what people, I, th I think, miss. Uh, I love, I saw a shirt years ago that said, enjoy the wedding, but now invite me to the marriage. I love it. And people spend so much time on the wedding, the wedding, the wedding, the wedding. And I, you know... My pet peeve, Dr. Simmons, is that I feel like in the the Christian world, and I am a Christian, I'm not picking on a Christian world, right. especially from the pastors on down, sometimes we have the fakest marriages <laughs> that, 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 yeah. you, that you have ever seen, you know, and starting with, you know, sometimes the man or woman of God, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. we... We either uh, get divorced or we get divorced on Tuesday. We remarry on Thursday or we don't get the help. I've heard pastors give all kinds of, you know, I've heard some kind of crazy advice uh, to couples. And and what I have learned, and, I, and I'd like for you to share on this, is that everybody's not equipped. You know, just because you're just because I'm young doesn't make me a youth pastor. Right. Right. You know, it just, I can stand in a garage for 20 years and it doesn't make me a car. Right. <laughs> and and I can just because I'm married doesn't mean that I'm gifted and called to have a marriage ministry. There's a right. total there's a difference. And why do you think in, in the church realm there's so much perpetrating and fraud 
instead of actually people saying, you know what, I struggle too. Mm-hmm. And I need help too. And our marriage isn't perfect. A couple of things. Um, in the black church, because I think we have to talk about that a little bit. In, in the black church, um, historically, is where we got our significance in life. Might have been a maid, might have been a janitor, might have been whatever, right? Some laborer, whatever, for the dominant group, not valued. But at church, the the man of God or the missionary or whatever, right? And so we we have to we have to recognize that we have a history where our significance was being birthed out of that institution. And many people have protected that and built religious structures around that. I'm not going to go into any religious institutions specifically, but that exists and that's, and that's culture and it's trauma. It's layered. And so it becomes risky to then say, Oh, but I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. Because that's the staple, you know, oftentimes that person has become the staple in the community. The, and, and we have to be careful about doing that to people, idolizing people. Um, and we have to be careful about embracing and accepting the idol. Somebody grabbed my bag yesterday. I was like, oh, no, I want you to do that. Mm-hmm. Right. A new hire. I don't, I, don't, I don't want her to do that. <laughs> I, I got to be careful, right? Because if I'm not careful now, who, where's my people at, right? I got to be right. careful about that. And so we have to be honest about the reality of whether or not me being honest about where I am is going to diminish the value that I bring. You can still be a powerful man and woman of God and need help. I posted the other day, and I saw it from, I think I read it in um, John Bevere's book, A Heart of Blaze, where you can be a family of purpose and still have problems and pain. Right. But we That's have to fine. give people space and safety to do that. And we, we don't, we don't, proc- we have not, when I say we, I'm talking about people of color because that's who I am. Um, have oftentimes failed to create adequate safe spaces and to, and sometimes to no fault because many of us have never had them. Mm-hmm. So how can we create something that we've never had? As a clinician, that's my job. So when I get the opportunity to teach other people to do that, including pastors, because that's my heartbeat, then that's what I do because People are lying in church. Not It's not just the leadership lying in church. It's the, the people who are coming in who need help, but they don't feel that it's safe enough to say, like, you know what? I'm still addicted to cocaine. Yeah, Doc, I, I to, to confirm what you're saying, not that it needs confirmation. Uh, so I had a guy that I admire, Jonathan Daughtery from Be Broken Ministries. So he he focuses on, for the past 20 plus years, guys struggling with sex addiction. Mm-hmm. And he does wives groups. He does the whole gamut. And I had him on, I think, last week. And he talked about, because I asked him about how bad is pornography in the church, you know. And he said, Alton, that's a very interesting question. So he said, statistically, it says that 50% of the church 
goes home once a week and watch, at least once a week and watch pornography. But he says, in my experience, guys that I've worked with, they're so ashamed that they're not going to even say yes on the survey. (laughs) So he says, in other words, it's way worse than people are saying. And I've noticed that, you know, because I've dealt with, uh, I've led groups with guys of sex addiction. I've done, I just did an accountability, uh, like two hour lesson to a men's group. And just from a male perspective, there's so many guys who have so many issues. And then we're just talking about the guys, not, not the mm-hmm. women, but they got mm-hmm. who are married guys who have mm-hmm. issues, who who hide it in the church. Yes. And they hide it. I remember I never forget. I was I, I did a, a two hour workshop one time on sexual integrity. And not to get off on a tangent, but on sexual integrity. And I spoke as a traditional Baptist church. And I'm like, all right, either they're going to be convicted when I leave here or they're never going to invite me back. <laughs> so when I was done, the room was quiet because, you know, I'm hitting them with heavy stuff. Boom, boom, boom. A guy says, I mean, it's a big auditorium full of guys. He raises his hand and says, you know what? When I get mad at my wife, I go in the other room and I watch pornography. And he said in front of everybody. And what that taught me about the church and what that is seeing is that people have so many underlying issues that it's not that Jesus can't fix it all. It's that old adage where the guy was drowning at sea and God sent him a life raft. Nope, right. I'm waiting on Jesus. And God That's sent right. him somebody else. I'm waiting on Jesus. Right. I, I think that people miss that there are so many tools to help them that their faith can be almost debilitating at times. Yes. And um, yes. what, what are your thoughts on that, Doc? I agree. A couple points that stick out as I was listening to you, I was reminded, and I'd be remiss if I didn't say, it's important to, to acknowledge that a lot of times when someone has a challenge with pornography, they are very likely also have a trauma history. Mm-hmm. So it's important to recognize that untreated trauma. And then the other thing, as I listened to you about that, you know, just that failing to realize that other tools are there. Because that's all I am. I'm a tool. I'm not the answer. I tell people that I'm not your answer. I'm a tool um, to take you, to help you get to the answer. Uh, a lot of times, going back to that pedestal that we put people on, if we're not careful in our attempt to be protective, right, to guard the sheep, we won't even encourage people to go to explore the tools. So kudos to the church that brought you in in the first place right. because they gave you access and they gave those men an opportunity to hear something different than what they were hearing every, one, every Sunday or every Bible study day. But a lot of times the, the, the shepherd is the gatekeeper. And if the shepherd does not endorse it, it won't be done. We've got to get shepherds to recognize that they are the gatekeepers. The same way that we found out that they were gatekeepers around health and we started seeing health promotion activities and health fairs and community health wellness programs show up in our churches because we saw that our people were dying with heart disease and diabetes and high cholesterol and nurses started to realize that they needed to partner with the churches because mm-hmm. they were sicker is and that be, and that could not happen unless the shepherd opened the door. I the agree. same has to happen for all of the mental health spaces that our congregation could be in. 
if it's sexual abuse, if it's pornography, if it's child abuse, if it's eating disorders, if it's substance abuse, and there's a gamut of other things. Right. If the if the shepherd doesn't address it and and send them or allow the people to come in, the people will will deduct that that's something that they need to uh, identify and clear up independent of help. And that keeps people quiet because then they have to admit mm-hmm. that I don't know what I'm doing and I don't have a safe place. I don't have, I don't, I don't, I've not been given permission right. to ask for help. And we've also seen some shepherds say that they sh- you should not go to a counselor because, right. you know, it's psychology and it's promotion of the self. Now there are spaces where that can be true, but that's not, that's not the whole, the whole, um, gamut of helping professionals. There are a host of Holy Ghost filled right. Christian believing therapists who can walk alongside of church members and get them healthy. You know, and I, I think that it has to be, you know, the traditional way, you know, when I grew up, the 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 pastor just taught you how to think. I mean, the pastor gave you your opinion. When it's time to vote, you know, they brought the candidates in when it was City council guy, here's Johnny Joe. You got to vote for Johnny Joe. So you go vote for Johnny Joe. I mean, it doesn't even matter, you know, if he, whatever. He could, you know, yeah. worship Satan, but pastors yeah. say vote for Johnny Joe. That's right. And I think it has to be space for that. Um, in your experience, doctor, and I know, you know, I'm not asking you to share particular clients, but when, when marriages don't succeed, you know, when mm-hmm. people, when you deal with people that end up separating or divorce. What are some of the, are there any like indicating factors that you know may lead to divorce or what are some of the, are there common themes that you see when people do, when things don't work out? Yeah, it's good. It's a good question. I recently encountered that. So I will say I'm not tuning my own horn, but for the most part, I've not encountered marriages being unsuccessful. Um, I have recently encountered a couple uh, and that the, the husband had asked for divorce. Now he used to threaten it. Um, and that was just, he has a, a host of other things going on. Uh, but in this, in this particular instance, the thing that was clear to me was one, they were not believers. There was no solid unifying principle to draw them together. Right. With. And then two, they were just stuck in what they needed. They were so stuck in what they individually needed They couldn't take themselves out to invest a part of themselves for their partner's wellness. Wow. All they could see was what they individually needed. Wow. And no investment in meeting their partner's needs. And when I talk with couples, I talk to them about the fact that your partner, if you're if you're doing marriage the way I think it should be done. Um, and the way most people I know do it. I'm not talking about this alternative stuff that's out there. That's out there. Your partner has no ethical or moral alternative for getting their needs met outside of the relationship with you. Mm-hmm. There's no alternative. Right. Unless you have an open marriage. <laughs> right. So, you know, and they're out there, right? Those right, are not right. the people that I counsel because I don't right. know how to navigate in that stuff. <laughs> right. But, but so if I, if your partner has no other ethical or moral option for getting their needs met outside of with you, 
and you don't meet them there, then what are they supposed to do? And that's what leads people down Mm -hmm. that path. People are not willing to sacrifice their happiness. Um, That's a whole other story. That's a marriage topic. (laughs) Uh, They're not willing to sacrifice their happiness. So they exit because they don't feel like they're going to get their needs met with their spouses. So you, uh, I guess I'm going to use a therapy word, triggered some thoughts (laughs) in my head. Uh, I'm I'm listening to a great book. I don't mind mentioning the name, uh, Dondre Whitfield uh, from, uh, you know, Queen Sugar, Remy, Cosby Mm -hmm. Show, all of that stuff. And he he has a great book called uh, Male Versus Man. And I've been listening to the book, getting a lot out of the book. Hopefully we can get him on a podcast. But he makes a great comedy, says over and over again that males look to be served and men look to serve. And he really just digs deep on uh, and then he even talked about telling young girls why they shouldn't really get caught up in dating because it's hard to find a teenage boy who looks to serve (laughs) because because he wants to he wants to be served. Mm -hmm. And he talked about men look to see how they can serve their wife, how they can serve their family. Uh, And it makes me think of men, black young boys. How do we handle, my question is, how do we handle getting mental health help to people who are in kind of a tough to reach category? I mean, two examples. One, it's a lot of young boys in the street that I know they got to have some level of PTSD or other stuff. I've seen their friends shot, stuff they see on TV. And then I have used to go to a homeless shelter twice, about once a week for about two years. And I'm not a mental health professional, but I've definitely, I used to do Bible study there, but I definitely have said in Bible study saying, all right, this guy needs some more resources, right? <laughs> this, this brother needs some help, but they weren't, a, they weren't permitted there to say, hey, you need to go see Susie Joe right. counselor. So how do we get help to, let's say those blackmail, some of the homeless people, uh, or what resources are available for when I, I know, especially some of these, uh, the black youth I encounter. Uh, I remember one youth in particular walked up to me and um, he said, you know, Mr. Jameson, I'm 18 and I don't know what to do with my life. My mother used to do drugs with me at 15. I live with my sister now. She, I hate to use the word, but he says she calls me retarded. That's what his sister called him. And I'm about to graduate. I got all these issues and I don't know what to do with my life. Yeah. And, and, you know, and that was one time I was like, you know what, man, if I can adopt you right now, right. I would. So how, how do we get help to, to people who fall in that category, doctor? It's a tough one. Um, we go where they're at. It requires a community oriented mental health professional who, who has a heart for that population because you have to go where they're at. You know, they're, they're not going to come in my space right. unless somebody they trust brings them here. And so, and I want them to be here. I do. Uh, but we have to go where they're at. I'm blessed to actually have on my team now an African-American man who has some of those experiences and has continuously <laughs> overcome some of the experiences of being in that life, Right. Um, And not that his parents were addicts or anything like that, but that the life was something that he was a part of for his own reasons. And so because he 
presents a certain way, I can send him into some of those spaces. I can send him into those spaces and he can connect and he can speak their language. I had him talk with somebody in my office not too long ago about chemicals and marijuana because young people think there's nothing wrong with marijuana. And so, you know, I had him talk about that in a way that used some of the language of today that I obviously did not know. I did. I learned it when he came and spoke. Um, but it gave me an advantage in having the conversation with her because she knew I know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. She knew Dr. Simmons don't know what she's talking about, but he used, I think the term was loud, that loud, loud. I don't know what it means. I think I know what it means, but I don't really know. <laughs> and that helped to get her attention to hear the point that was being made. And so the, the short version of it is we got to go to them. We got to look like them to some degree. We have to understand them and we got to care. Mm-hmm. We got to care. And I'm not talking about that. Someone we interviewed recently talked about, you know, having people that don't look like us participate in our projects, but not because they feel guilty, because that comes off in the work. Right. right? But because they have a com- they are committed to the cause, not guilt committed. And so that's what it needs. It's going to take time. We need more people, um, more men in the field that are qualified. And I say that because in my history um, in the helping field, I have seen the industry give men a pass because there's a shortage. And so they've been able to come up short and not be as proficient or excellent. And it's just not okay to our stakeholders for us to allow men or anybody for that, Mm -hmm. any, any demographic that has a shortage to pass through without this adequate qualifications, because you're just hurting that, that constituency even more than you get them to somebody who can't really help them. That makes sense. And do you recommend if parents notice their young person is struggling with different issues that they they seek the help of a mental yeah. health professional? Absolutely. Absolutely. We offer a 15 minute consultation. If we're not the right fit, we help you get to somebody who is. Um, I think it's time out for sitting home quiet and struggling in silence. Right. Just too much to lose. So I always say, even if you're not sure, get the consultation. Even if you're not, uh, if you go in and you don't like them, keep checking. We don't go, we don't stop going grocery shopping because (laughs) the cashier was rude to us. We choose another store, we go to another line, but we don't stop going grocery shopping. We don't stop going to get our teeth clean. We definitely don't stop going to Foot Locker. So, or getting our nails done or getting our hair done. So we've got to, like you said, marriage is an investment. Our mental health is an investment. I agree. And we need to see it that way. <laughs> and so I would encourage people, go get the information and then make the choice that fits best for you. And I would say, and I want to ask you a question in a second, Doc, about how do you protect your mental health in terms of your detox and stuff. But I would say for those who listen, you know, this podcast, obviously I say Black Moves First, okay? For those who are, are not chess players, you know, white always moves first in chess and which is an advantage in the game of chess and black is moves second, which is a disadvantage. So when we say changing the world one move at a time, we want guests like yourself who are making a difference in their world one client at a time. 
And I can't stress enough uh, as a black male, as somebody who's who has a a therapist. I mean, I probably for the first year, I just disliked my therapist. But I had to get over the fact of this is not a guy that we're going to the bar. We're going to the football game. This is, you know, my boy at the cookout. This is a guy who just really there to just help me to get better and, and, and help me to get past my blind spots. And some days it's one of those sessions where I've had sessions where I didn't even want to talk the whole weekend after I got up the session. And then there are sessions in which I feel like, you know what, I'm going to run for president. Right. I mean, because you, I mean, it's just, you know, it can be like that. But yeah. over collectively, I am better, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a blind spot recently where my wife kept saying, Well, you do this, you do this in just one area. And I just, you know, I had my whole speech. I don't do this because of, you know, I had my whole speech of why she was wrong. Mm-hmm. Shared with my counselor, just knew he was going to be on my side as a man. He's a man. He's a brother. He know what I'm dealing with. And he said, she's probably right. And he pointed out why from his perspective. And it truly it just opened my eyes. And it's amazing that she had been complaining uh, about the same issue for years. But I just couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. And because I felt like because I did X, Y, Z. I was justified. I was good. You, sh- yeah. you know, you shouldn't complain. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I heard a brother say the other day, uh, which just really touched my heart. He said, my wife was complaining. I was out trying to get a $10 million net worth. I get, we got the big house. We got the big car. What are you complaining about? And he says, Alton, when I realized what was happening, I was already divorced. And so I can't stress enough, and this is a man of faith, I can't stress enough, don't shy away from the help. Uh, It's available. Forget the shame, get the help. Uh, Doctor, how do you, two questions. One, how do you protect and detox? And Because I can't imagine all the stuff you go through and how draining it is. And then share a little bit about kind of your family. I know you have a wonderful husband and kids. Maybe share a little bit about you and that aspect. Yeah, they're one, almost kind of one and the same. And um, so, yes, I do hear a lot because of the work um, that I do. In order for me to do it well, I have to take care of myself. And I never want, and because of my faith, I never want to injure somebody God sent me to. So it requires me to make sure my stuff's checked so that I'm not spilling over and hemorrhaging on my clients. Some of the things I have to do, most of the things that I have to do are spiritual, really, because I do believe that this is a call for me. And so I start my day off with a spiritual practice. I start my day off with my husband. We oftentimes walk together and we're talking and getting on the same page. Some of that is really logistics, but it's a connection. It's Mm -hmm. it's a connection. Um, I put incredible boundaries in place. Like, I don't have no problem with no. I don't have no problem sending you to voicemail. There's just things that I put in place. I'm clear about what I want and what I don't want. And I communicate pretty clearly uh, unless Holy Spirit tells me to shut up. Um, Which is more times than I want to. But anyway. (laughs) Um, So those are things that I have to do. I do have people in my life, a support system 
that I go to. And at times that does include a therapist. In the moment, it's been a bit challenging because of my, my um, I, I don't want to sound like the big head, but my status in the community, I don't want to see a colleague. Right. I don't want to see a colleague. So um, that pursuit has become a little more challenging. Um, and there's some other variables that kind of go into that. But at times I've traveled over an hour one way to see my therapist. Now, can I pause you? Let me pause you right there for a second, mm-hmm. not to cut you off. Mm-hmm. Here's the doctor saying that when I need to, I will see another professional. And I, I can't stress Absolutely. enough of... Uh, just the power of what you said. And that every, and I tell my daughter this, I said, sweetheart, everybody needs somebody. Yes. You know, everybody needs somebody. At, yes. And as much as I think I got it together, mm-hmm. I just need somebody to remind me that, Hey, I got, I haven't arrived and I'm never going to arrive, but I'm going to get closer yeah. to the destination. So I, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just no. thought of such a, it was such an important point. Uh, I just wanted to, to highlight that. If I, I'm going to go as far as to say a good therapist has one or had one or has one in the cut that they can get to when they need one, but they're not afraid to see one. Not afraid. Okay. If the ther- if you have therapists and they're not willing to be in therapy, I, t- I tell my, my the, I supervise clinicians preparing for licensure. And I tell them, if you're not willing to go get therapy, then you should not be licensed for therapy. Because it's hypocrisy to expect someone to sit in a chair and be vulnerable with you and you're unwilling to go through that process yourself. You have no value for it. And then you want people to do it with you. It, it, to me, it's a disqualifier. But right. that's my personal opinion. Um, in terms of my family, my, I love my family. I'm very, very much a family um, oriented person. My husband and I, we've been married for 25 years in December. Uh, we've been together for 27 college sweethearts. We met in Buffalo, New York uh, years ago. We have four children, two adopted grown ones in their 30s that have given us three grandchildren wow. and two uh, young adults still trying to figure that part out of their <laughs> life. Right? Uh, one, one hasn't left the nest yet. But, you know, dad's got him on the edge. He's, he's got his toe on him right as he sit on the edge. And I'm holding his knee so he can't, can't push. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, they, they're, all, um, they're all learning how to do life on their own terms. We, we've been very hands-on parents. And so in this season of our life, we're learning how to be parents of adult children who have yes. to own their journeys. And uh, we love on those grandbabies. They are a joy. They are a joy to spend time with. But quite honestly, we are looking forward to the emptiness. We really uh, are. I understand. And your husband, for the audience, your husband is a chess player, correct? My husband is a chess player. He is a chess teacher. He has been playing chess since elementary school. Wow. Um, he's a minister. He is an insurance agent. He is my partner in this business. He's my biller, my intake person. He's my lover. He's my friend. My husband, I mean, you know, next to Jesus, he, he's right there. He, he's it. right there. And we enjoy each other. <laughs> That's like, if this was if this was a sermon, you would say he's my water and my wet. <laughs> hey, 
<laughs> I, I like that. How, Doctor, uh, two questions. Can you, yes. one, share how we can get in, like your programs or website? Yeah. And then can you answer the question for those who, who are, who like you or like what you have to say, and they may be interested in your services, uh, can you share if you do virtual, uh, yeah. which I imagine you do, but just share for the benefit of those uh, who, who are listening? Yes. So I think the first one, like, how do you find me? Uh, the simplest way to find me is through my website, and that's www.drshnai.com, Dr. Shanae. That's my personal website. Um, that's where I show up spiritually. If you're looking uh, to consider our professional services, it's www.communityvictory.com. We do offer telehealth services. I am only able to provide counseling to individuals in the state of Virginia, Florida, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. If you wish to have a consultation and ask me some questions to learn more about how to get connected to other clinicians in other states, I'm more than willing to help with that. Um, but we do offer we do offer telehealth, but we can only practice in the states that we're licensed in. Now I know a lot of colleagues who are in a lot of other states, and so I don't have any problems sending people to people that I trust, um, that I know that are you know quality professionals in the industry. That's just something to keep in mind. Right. One last thing I want to say about that: if you for some reason you cannot get in front of a therapist's chair, like in their space or in front of their screen, follow their pages. Therapists are all over the internet and the social media now. They're trying to get people the help that they need. We realize even if we wanted to, we don't have enough space in the day for everybody to be in our offices. Right. Our capacity is limited. So one of the ways that you can get help is with your EAPs at your job or um the social media. And then there are a number of other programs like Taraji has the Henson, Found Henson Foundation. I think it's Henson Foundation and Lovejoy Foundation. They're offering grants to people who can't afford um, wow. counseling. There's re there are resources out here now. There's no reason why we should be struggling. If you're struggling, you, sh you don't have to. You really don't have to. And your um, company accepts uh, some insurances, correct, too. I mean, you don't have to list them all, but yeah. I, I'd imagine you do. Yes, we are. We take insurance, private pay, and we offer a sliding scale. And so between me and our team members, we are able to to accept everybody for the most part. Um, in July, we'll even be able to do some pro bono uh, work as well. Uh, so that we can continue to reach the gamut of the community. That's awesome. And not to put you and your husband out there, but I know uh, they also speak on marriage-related topics. So I yeah. imagine they can do that in person and virtual as well. So I definitely want yes. to mention that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. We Again, that's where you can kind of catch us on, um, catch me at drshanae.com. You catch our us together at getintouchnetwork.com. We do speak on marriages and in June, 
it's either June or July. We'll be talking about that on a much broader scale. We do have some other things available for married couples. We love to speak of married couples. We love to do team building activities for married couples. We do offer marriage coaching and mentorship. So yeah, definitely connect with us. But if you reach out to me on any one of those platforms, you can uh, get more information about what we offer. Well, doctor, this has been, uh, I had high expectations, but this has already exceeded my expectations. Uh, <laughs> your time here today has been valuable. Uh, I, I was actually looking forward to it just to talk about mental health because I feel like it's not talked about enough. And, you know, just beyond the minority community, uh, you know, everybody listening isn't a minority, Absolutely. but just mental health is so important. That's right. Uh, marriages are so important. And I think I appreciate how you weave in that intersection of faith and mental health and, and really just try to build a, a healthy balanced foundation. So thank you so much for your time. And this Thanks was this was uh, anytime. And next time around, we'll have to get both you and your husband up here and we'll, we'll dive more into marriage. As yes. Well, so. He asked. He was like, "Is it both of us?" I said, "No, nah, I don't think so. Not." <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll definitely get both of you up here next uh, again, and we'll dive more into marriage. And I'll, I'll pull my wife, who's a little sham, uh, camera shy, and get and get her to join me as well, so we yes. can have a good, a good discussion. So, awesome. thank you so much. God bless your business, your family. Thank you your ministry and, and your heart for marriages. Um, so until, until next Thanks. time. Take care. Thank you again for your time today. And remember to subscribe to our podcast, rate our show and share with others. You can also view us on the web at www.blackmovesfirst.com. My final charge to you is what move will you make today to change your world? Stay positive And I'm your host, Alton Jameson.